0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat back in front of you. And there should hopefully be a bookmark there that will open you right up to Jonah. If not, uh, Jonah's around page 774, 775. I think I looked at it. Um, so if you, uh, if you need to, to get there, 775 in those seat back Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, um, you're welcome to take that or take the bookmark, take whatever. We like giving Bibles away. Um, so you're welcome to keep that as well. Um, As we jump in, you know, we live at a time when, I don't know about you, but it feels like every movie and show that gets made now is a remake or a reboot of something. Like, there are no original movies being made, it feels like. Taking something old and redoing it, making it new and fresh, or just taking the same thing, but we're just going to do it a little different, right? It's not something new, actually. I mean, it feels like that's all we get now, but this has been happening since film became popular right? One director would take a script, make a movie, and then a couple years later, another director would see that movie and say, you know what? I think I could do that better. And then they would just decide to do that, right? Dracula. Dracula has been made over 60 times. Not like continuations, not like Dracula Part 2, Back for More Blood. Like just the origin story, just the story we know has been made over 60 times since 1931 when the first one came out. There are over 25 variations of The Christmas Carol, including my favorite, The Muppets' Christmas Carol, which is the top of the list. According to Wikipedia, since 2010, so just the last 13 years, there have been at least 100, and I say at least 100 because that's when I stopped counting, at least 100 remakes of a past movie that had been shown in america that's not counting tv shows right like my son just found ninja turtles and that's like the fourth incantation of he's like have you heard about ninja turtles yeah man i did a long time ago we just remake stuff over and over again so why am i bringing this up well we're uh, we're in chapter three of jonah we're walking through the book of jonah as a church and To catch you up, Jonah was a prophet who was told by God, go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want to preach to them, tell them that their sin has come up against them and there is judgment waiting for them. Jonah refused. Instead, he goes on a ship that's headed for Tarshish, which is literally the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. And he tries to run away. God pursues Jonah and sends a great wind, which sends a great storm to destroy and threaten the ship. The crew eventually find out who Jonah is and why he is the reason that this sh- they're about to lose their ship, he has, he has them throw him overboard. They don't want to do it, but they throw him into the sea, assuming he is going to drown and die. But instead of drowning, instead of dying, Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. God sends a great fish not to punish Jonah, but to save him. He spends three days and nights in the belly of this great fish he makes what i think is a very half-hearted prayer in jonah chapter 2 and he pleads to god which god responds to by having the fish vomit him up onto dry land and so now what happens what are we what we are going to see in the opening verses of chapter 3 is a remake of chapter 1 at least in the beginning the call from god is the same but jonah's response has changed and it gives us a new story a fresh story Something new we can sink our teeth into. And this story, as we look through chapter 3, is going to show us that God gives second chances. It shows us that God's word changes lives, and it shows us that true repentance involves action and response. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to Jonah 3. So please uh, bow your heads and uh, join me in prayer. God, we thank you for... This morning, we thank you for this chance to gather, to worship, to celebrate, to engage with one another, and more importantly, most importantly, engage with you. Lord, we pray that you would show up this morning. You always do, and we ask that you continue to. We pray that you would show up. Lord, we pray that you would be merciful to us as we seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. We cry out to you who carries us through some of the hardest, darkest, scariest times, even when it feels like you're far away, we know you are with us always. God, it is amazing, but you carry out your plans, your purpose for this world through us, broken, flawed people. God, though some of us right now might be in the midst of hardship, might be in the midst of dark and hard and scary times, we ask that God, our desire, our heart is that you would be exalted in us and through us. This morning as we open up Jonah 3, God, you have a word for us. You have a message for us. And so, Lord, I I ask that you would help us to turn out, tune out the noise, set aside the distractions, put aside those things in our heads and our hearts that might keep us from being able to hear from you this morning because that's what we came to do is hear from you so, Lord, I ask that you would not let anything come out of my lips that isn't from you. And as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So Jonah 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He repeats the original instruction that he gave to Jonah in chapter 1. Get up, go to Nineveh, call out against it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's all the description we get, and I love it. God doesn't scold Jonah. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't get sarcastic or passive-aggressive with Jonah. Our God is the God of second chances, and thirds, and fourths, and fifths, and so on, and so on. Why? Why does God tell Jonah, get up and go? Why not say, Jonah, you know what? You screwed up too bad. You ran away too far. This is over. The prayer was just, eh, you're done, Jonah. Just go home. I'll find somebody else. It's not because Jonah is so amazing that God had to have him on his team. It's not because God is so desperate for Jonah to be his prophet. God's grace and mercy reminds us of God's character and gives him the glory. This is who God is, and this is how he acts towards us by his nature. This is him. In Psalm 103, verses ten, starting in verse 10, it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Over and over, when you read the Old Testament, I'm sure you've seen this this cycle that God and the Israelites go through. God's people, the Israelites, will be walking with God, following his will. Everything is good. Everything is right. They're walking with him. They're, They're following his instruction. And then eventually they leave God for some idol. They leave God because they want to be like everybody else, because they get distracted, because they get lured into what the world is offering them. And eventually things will go bad for them. And then they call out to God because everything is ruined. They call out to God and they ask for him to rescue them. And then he does and he restores them and he gets everything right again. And they're walking with him and they're following him and they're remembering how good he is to them. And then again they... Fall into temptation and again they wander away and then again they cry out and then again God restores them and over and over rinse and repeat. Isn't that the same for the lives of Christians today? Right? Things are good. I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm spending daily time in His Word. I'm in prayer. I'm, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm trying to follow Him, trying to respond. And I get distracted, I get led astray. Or just out of curiosity about the dark shadowy places, I find myself walking away from my faith and things go poorly. And eventually then I call out for help and God rescues, puts me back on the right path and things are good. I'm walking with him. I'm remembering how messed up that was. I don't want to go back to that. I'm walking with God again until the next time it happens. Over and over And yet, no matter how many times we walk away, no matter how many times we run away, no matter how many times we might just close our eyes and hearts to the truth of God, if you are his, if you are his child, if you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will ultimately find yourself back into right relationship with him. He will go to whatever lengths he has to go to to get your attention and call you back. So as we head into spring and summertime, I would just warn you, be careful swimming this summer out in that open water if you're in rebellion against God, because we've seen what he'll do to get your attention. He might just send a real big fish in Lake Michigan, and who knows what's living in that thing. I love that God doesn't take his, take some kind of anger or vengeance out against Jonah. He just calls him again. He just says, okay, We're going to do this again. I'm going to give you a fresh start. We're going to try this again. Because Jonah, I made you for this. I want you for this, Jonah. So Jonah, this is the plan. Go to Nineveh and call out against them. God gives us these opportunities to step into so that we might experience the fullness and richness of what he has planned and chosen for us. Most of us don't. Get the same exact same opportunity twice. And so what's Jonah going to do? Deja vu here, Jonah. You got an option. You got two choices. You're going to run away or you're going to go? Let's pick it up in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Good job, Jonah. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. God's word changes lives. Jonah finally goes into the city. We don't know where the fish dropped Jonah off. If it was back at Joppa, where he got on the the ship in the first place, Joppa to Nineveh is about a 500-mile journey through the desert. We don't know how long it took him to get to Nineveh, but eventually he gets to Nineveh. We see in verse 3, he arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We also get this descriptor in verse 3. It tells us a bit about this great city. Over and over again, we've seen in the first couple of chapters that Nineveh is referred to as the great city. Part of the description is due to the influence and importance of the Assyrian Empire, but also its literal size. It's a three-day's journey in breadth. Breadth is across, width. It would take you three days to walk across the city. That's huge because generally speaking, in biblical terms, when they say a day's journey, a day's journey is roughly 20 to 25 miles. So Nineveh is three-day's journey. You're talking 60 to 75 miles wide. Just to put that in perspective for you, 60 miles directly east from this building, 60 miles directly east, gets you all the way across the bottom part of Lake Michigan into Indiana. 60 miles directly north from this building takes you, you would be in the lake, in the, right in the lake, and if you needed to call and get some help, the closest city that would send out its rescue boats would be Racine, Wisconsin. 60 miles to the west gets you just past DeKalb, 60 miles to the south puts you in Kankakee. This city is huge. In chapter 4, God says there are more than 120,000 people living in Nineveh. It's massive. It's pagan. It's hostile to pretty much everyone else that's an outsider. How is one guy who doesn't even really want to be there, how is he going to spread the message so that all these people are going to hear it? How many people could he possibly reach? This appears to be an overwhelming and, frankly, impossible task that God has sent Jonah on. I mean, set aside his hatred for the Ninevites; just the basic expectation of the call would be enough for most people to walk away from it, as Jonah did, and said, "That's just too big." We find out how far he gets and how much his word carries, though. In verse 4, it tells us he went a day's journey, roughly a third of the way into the city. That's it. Now, we don't know why. Maybe he got overwhelmed. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he just didn't care. We don't know. Whatever the reason, he got about a day's journey in. Just out of sheer volume of people and space, Jonah isn't going to reach many people this way. I mean, he didn't even get halfway, he got a third. But he showed up. For all of the negative talk I've used about Jonah in the last couple of weeks, he does show up. He made the right choice. And he does preach the message God gave him. Maybe the shortest sermon you'll ever hear. Definitely not anything you're going to hear from this pulpit. It's eight words is what he preaches. Eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's bleak. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just hey, the clock's ticking, you guys are in trouble. And that bleakness is actually pretty interesting. Now, Jonah is not the first prophet to preach a message of judgment on a city, right? That's kind of the gig for the prophets, but usually those messages come with a a little bit of hope, a little bit of some kind of call to repentance, some kind of glimmer of sunshine there in the midst of the clouds. The book of Isaiah opens up in Isaiah 118. excuse me and the prophet says god says through the prophet come now let us reason together says the lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool if you are willing and obedient you shall eat the good of the land but if you refuse and rebel you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the lord has spoken and that's oftentimes what the prophets would say is look you have made poor decisions Israelites, God's people, you have rebelled against him. Judgment is hanging over your head. But if you will turn back to God, you can be saved. But Jonah's message is, you got 40 days and this place is done. This place will be overthrown. Doesn't seem like there's any hope there. Doesn't seem like there's any grace or any chance of getting out of this. Not that Jonah would want to give them any hope, right? He's not a big fan of these people. But even I think, I don't think Jonah knew what he was saying necessarily, but in that phrase, even in just those eight words that he preached, he's giving them a bit of a chance. Because that word overthrown, it can also be translated as turned or changed. Changed. In essence, what he's saying is, in 40 days, this city is going to be radically changed. Now, in Jonah's mind, I'm sure he assumed he was telling them God is going to wipe them off the map. You are the enemies of God's people, you're done. But the same God who showed mercy and grace to Jonah, the same God who called Jonah a second time and let him serve and be used, that God has something else in mind. Regardless of the message and the plan, Jonah only went a third of the way, though. There's not much chance for this message to reach many people when we are considering the vastness of this place, 120,000 people. I mean, the message is just too negative. The city is too big. The prophet, too uninterested. What are the chances that anything good happens here? What's going to go, how can this possibly go forward? Let's look at verse 5 and 6. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. God's word is moving through the people. The people of Nineveh believed God. It wasn't about Jonah. It wasn't about who he was or what he did or didn't do. He shared the message God told him to share, and the people responded, and that response spreads. The people begin to respond with a fast and putting on sackcloth. These were common ways to show grief or sorrow or repentance. Fasting, obviously, we know what that is, right? Keeping yourself from drinking or eating. Sackcloth is, think about like a burlap sack, it's similar to that. It's very coarse, often made of goat's hair. It was kind of, like a, kind of like a shirt or a bag or a robe that you would put on. It's this tangible, it's very itchy, it doesn't feel good to wear. It's a tangible outward expression of the inward angst, sadness, and pain you are feeling and experiencing. Those uncomfortable emotions, it's kind of like putting those uncomfortable emotions on on your outside. And this movement is going throughout the city, traveling by word of mouth from one person to another, crossing social and economic standings. Everyone is hearing the message and responding. It even gets to the king of Nineveh, who he himself puts on some sackcloth and sits in ash. Now, before getting further into the response and watching how this escalates, what is it that sets off this spiritual domino reaction? Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. Because the word of God changes lives. And we, as God's people, are called to share that with others. And when I say we, as God's people, I'm not talking about just pastors and church leaders. I'm talking about if you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ, you have a responsibility. Mark 16, 15 Jesus said to them, "Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation." The great commission, it wasn't just for the 12 disciples. Like they did it and then everybody else is off the hook. No, that continues for us today. Paul speaking in his letter, writing in his letter to the Roman to the church in Rome, in Romans 10:13, "For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, those verses talk about preaching. You might be sitting there and saying, they use the word preaching a bunch of times, Tim. I'm not a preacher. That's why I'm sitting back here and you're, sitting, you're standing up there. Preach is to proclaim. It is to publish, to share openly and publicly publicly you can do that 1 Peter 3:15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you why do you believe what you believe you should know that and be able to share that yet do it with gentleness and respect I feel like today in our world, we kind of just forget that part. So yeah, I'll tell you all about the things I believe, but gentleness respect, we'll worry about that a different day. Right now, I'm just going to yell at you or type in all caps, and I'm going to win the argument. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 316 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And lastly, Isaiah 55, 11. God speaking through the prophet, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. When the word of God is shared when it goes out into the world, it will not fail. It will not be inconsequential. It will change lives. That's what it does. This book has endured critics and attacks for generations, and yet it remains. People have been trying to discredit and disprove the Bible for pretty much as long as it has existed. And the harder they push, and the more they strive, the more times they unintentionally reveal the historical accuracy, the current relevancy, and the spiritual reality of God's word. Why do you think there are still places in the progressive, advanced world we live in today, in 2023, there are still countries in this world where just carrying this book can get you killed? Because the word of God has power. And that frightens people. Because when this book gets into the hands and heads and hearts of people, lives are changed. Families are changed. Cities, nations get changed. It is living and active. It's real and it matters. It's the words of the creator and sustainer of all existence. We should treat it with the reverence and awe that it requires and realize that when we share it with people, we should be prepared for lives to be changed. And realize that someone getting saved, someone having that moment has nothing to do with how articulate you are, how great you are at answering their questions, but rather does God move in their hearts. That's the job. We open. We share. God does the work. None of that has anything to do with us and how well personally we know it. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to share what you know, to share God's truth with others. Just be genuine and be willing, and God is going to show up. You don't have to have gone to seminary to open the word and point people to Jesus, to help people see the story of God redeeming and restoring everything back to himself, everything that was broken by sin through sending his son to die on the cross, how the whole book points to Jesus. You don't need to have formal training to do that. Read it. You see it yourself. If you have put your faith in Christ, then at some point you saw it for yourself. Open it with someone. Share a verse with someone. Engage with someone and watch God's word do what it's going to do. There is power here. Jonah preaches eight words of God. Eight words, and none of them are helpful. None of them are encouraging. None of them are all that pick-me-up. It's not the kind of verse you're going to put on a card and put up on you. It's not a life verse you're going to see on a coffee mug. Forty days and Nineveh's gonna get changed. That's the message, but it's the word of God, and it goes forth, and people's lives are changed. Let's jump back into Nineveh. Let's jump back into Jonah three. Go to verse six. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed the robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The word of what is happening has reached the king. He even puts on sackcloth and is sitting in ash. Kings don't do that. Kings don't show humility or repentance. They don't say, I was wrong. They show strength all the time, especially as we have talked about a a nation like the Assyrian Empire that is built on violence and destruction. Their kings don't show weakness in any form. This king, we don't even get his name, but his heart, has been changed his heart has been broken he is repenting and not only that he does what jonah couldn't or wouldn't do and he gets the word out in a much more efficient manner it said in verse 7 a decree goes out the whole nation is going to fast everyone living man women cattle everyone everything should fast just as an aside man what the cattle do like that's a great heart. Like I get you're excited and like let's let's all change. But like that's, I mean, the, even the animals need sackcloth. Like that's that's a little extreme. But he says the whole nation is going to spend time in fasting and prayer. I'd ask, can you imagine? But I don't think we could. Could we? Right? Like to have our our president if they did one of those speeches. Where like he walks, you know, it's one of the evening ones that like ruins a football game or your favorite TV show. And he walks down the long hallway and he's in front of the podium. My fellow Americans, we as a nation have sinned against God. We have used hate and fear and racism and xenophobia and sexism to separate us. We have been driven by greed and lust. We have valued self-righteousness and made an idol out of our money and our status. We have taken advantage of one another and outsiders. We must turn away from these things. Let everyone turn away from the evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. All of the United States of America is going to go into a time of fasting and repentance and prayer. And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Good night, and God bless America. Can you imagine the uproar that would happen? The chaos that would ensue? Why doesn't that happen here? I think it doesn't happen here, partially because kings didn't have checks and balances and there was no social media, so there's that. But I think part of the reason Nineveh doesn't turn into a spiritual war zone is because the, this decree from the king, it's not step one. It didn't, this didn't come from the top down. It came from the bottom up. This decree is in response to what the people were already doing. The people were already repenting, already praying, already fasting. I mean the king I think is genuine he is he is genuinely broken hearted genuinely in repentance over this but the decree is a little late to the party right I mean it's it is kind of like a politician he just hopped on the bandwagon of what was popular but it started with the people the regular everyday people the teachers the nurses the baristas the handyman the engineers the moms and dads the office administrators This was not a a movement driven by professional followers of God, right? I mean, Jonah got a third of the way in, and he said eight words. This was people hearing God's word, believing God's word, and being convicted to respond by God's word. And that's the key, response. Because true repentance, true faith has in it a response, As James tells us, and look, in a couple weeks, we're going to start studying the book of James. I'm so excited to study James with y'all. In James 1.22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then a few verses later, James 2.17, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We want to be students of the Bible. And more than that, even students of God. Studying him, learning more about him, his will and character. But if all we are acquiring is knowledge in our heads, we are not maturing as Christians. We are not growing in our relationship with him. Right? Think of it this way. This is a, a minor analogy, but I think you'll you just walk with me on this. If your spouse likes a certain meal that you cook, and you know this, but you never cook that meal, what good is that information to you? And how is it beneficial to communicating to your spouse that you know them and care about them? Right? Having the information doesn't do any good until you actually respond to it. What we learn about who God is, what we learn about him, his creation, his gospel, eternity that he has set up for us, it should cause in us a shift and change in the way that we interact with him and with the world around us. When we are confronted with our sin, with our hypocrisy, with our lies and greed and lust and immorality, the sin that so easily entangles us, we have two options. We can run and hide like Adam and Eve did. We can get ourselves thrown overboard like Jonah did. Or we can run to God. We can go to him because we know that he is good, because we know that he is just, because we know that Jesus already paid the penalty for the, he paid the punishment for every sin throughout all of existence. And so we don't have to worry about whether or not God likes us, what kind of mood God is in. That's not something that we have to deal with. We don't have to worry because God has no need to serve a second punishment. It's already done and over. His justice has been carried out. We can go to him, confess our sins, repent and find grace and mercy and hope and new life. This city of Nineveh, pagan, angry, evil. They were confronted with their sin, confronted by the word of God and they turned and responded and repented. They chose to run to God who at this point, all they knew of him was that he had the power to overthrow their city. And that's exactly what he did. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God saw them, and we know that God knows all things, and God knows the hearts of all people. And so he saw them, and he saw the genuineness of their repentance, the genuineness of their brokenheartedness. He saw that Nineveh had been changed by the word of God going through it, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, and God relented. God showed mercy. God showed grace. God forgave. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation We were in a helpless and hopeless state, enemies of the one true God. And not because we earned it, not because we're super likable, not because we're super helpful, not because without us, God's whole plan would fall apart, but because of the grace and mercy and compassion of God, he sent his son to die for our sins in our place. And in doing so, paid the debt that our sin owed, wiped our slate clean, offers us a new, right, good, and pure relationship with him, grounded and founded in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today, through his word, God is calling you to repent, to turn toward him, confess, and let go of those sins, these things that are weighing you down, these shackles that are restricting you from living the full life of God that he has called you into. He's given you a chance right here, right now, today, to confess and repent and turn toward him. Whether you are not, even if you're you're not a Christian and you came here as a guest, you came here visiting with somebody, you don't know why you're here. Maybe this is your first time hearing this message. There is grace and hope and mercy to be had. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you've been living more like our boy Jonah, sort of halfway in the faith. Pursuing some secret sins, some, some thoughts and actions and desires that you think nobody else knows about. It's not hurting anybody else, but it's killing you and it's killing your relationship with God. Things you know are contrary to the heart and will of God, but you found a way to minimize and rationalize and making them okay in your head. Regardless of what your situation is this morning, you're getting a chance today. God gives new life. God gives grace and mercy. He deals out of his abundance, meaning he's never going to run out of it. He doesn't have to ration it off. He's got a never-ending fountain of grace and mercy to deal out. Today is a chance, regardless of who you are, to admit your sins. Admit your need for a Savior. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place and choose for him to be that Savior, but not only Savior, your King. The one who is in complete control leading your life. The word has been read. You've heard the word of God, the creator of all existence, the one who made you and formed you and knows you. His words have been read out over you today. And so I pray this morning that you would respond. Respond in prayer. Respond in praise. If needed, respond in fasting. Respond in change. Just do something. Walk away from the sin. Walk away from the rebellion. Walk away from the lies. Walk away from the hate. Walk away from those idols that you think are going to save you because they won't. Turn away from them and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And from that throne is inviting you and welcoming you to come and join him in what he is doing in this world, to know him better. And to be part of what God is doing to redeem and restore and renew all things back to himself. And you think, I'm just one person. How much can I possibly do? Jonah was one against 120,000. It wasn't about Jonah. It was about what God can do. He's inviting you to be part of something. This is your moment. God has a reason for everything. He has reason for you right now. Hearing this message is because he wants to have a conversation with you. So respond to him. Respond to his word. He's got another chance just waiting for you to take advantage of right now. So respond. Let's do it in prayer. God, sometimes we open your word and sometimes it's hard to find a connection point sometimes it's hard to figure out how to, how to respond to your word I don't think today's one of those days I think today is one of those days where you're, you're real clear with your message for us today there's sin that needs to be confessed there's repenting that needs to do turning away from one life from one way of living and going in the total opposite direction and walking towards you, running towards you. God, you've reminded us of your power, the power of your word. God, as we live, as we interact with this world, as we engage with media and the noise of this world, we think, what can one person, what can I do? That remind us it's not about what we can do. It's about stepping into the moments that you have already set up ahead of time. The good works you have laid out ahead of time that we can step into to glorify you. You have reminded us the power of this book. The power of your word. It goes far and beyond anything we could possibly imagine. God, help us, to, help us to treat this, your word, like it is your word. Give us a hunger and thirst to know it better, a desire to live in it so that we might know you better and so that we might be more prepared to be able to engage, to be able to point people to you through it. God, you're doing a work in our hearts. You gotta, you, you, you set up today long ago. Before the you knew today was coming. You knew this Sunday was coming, that this church was going to be in this text, that we were gonna be here together, opening your word, reading your word. God, don't let us ignore this. God, I pray for the hearts and minds of the people here, Lord, that as, as people are convicted, as I am convicted, as we are convicted of our sins, God, don't let us shut this out. God, I pray that you would move. I pray that you, we, would, we would not be stubborn, that we would not be hard-hearted, but that we would confess that we would have real conversations with you, open and honest conversations with you, that we might engage with you maybe for the first time ever. Now, for some, it starts with putting their faith in you, with believing that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for their sins, putting their faith in that, having that new relationship, that new identity as your daughter or son. And for those who have been walking with you, for those who are already Christians, God, let today be that day of confession. Let the day be that day of renewal, of, of resetting themselves, of getting you finding us, putting us back on the path that leads toward you. God, you're doing a work. I pray that you would continue to see that work through and that we would respond to it, that we would not just be hearers, that we would not not just tuck this away as information, but that we would respond to what you had to say to us this morning. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being a God of grace and mercy. That no matter how many times we fall into the cycle, no matter how many times we fall into temptation, no matter how many times we walk away, there's more and more grace to be had. There is more and more mercy to be had. You don't get tired of it as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are from the earth. That's how you have separated our sin from us. Let us run to you because we know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, we confess. Lord, help us to be people who respond to your word so that we might be the lights of the world you have made us to be. We pray these things because you're good and awesome all the time. Amen.